And I'd like to just have a look at the character of David. Now, I don't know if you know much about David, but David became a king of the nation of Israel. And the people of God called out and said, we want a king. We want somebody to lead us. So God says, I will find you a king. So he sends off his prophet Samuel to find a king. Now, he goes to the family of Jesse, which is a family of seven boys, where Jesse lines up his boys, only six of them, and says, take your pick. And for some reason, thinks David's not worth even lining up because he's sort of like the runt of the litter. He's the youngest one. He's off looking after sheep. So he doesn't even bring David in for the selection process. But as Samuel goes through these sons of Jesse, he sensed God saying to him, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. Are there there any more? Oh, well, yeah, there's David out with the sheep. I suppose I could call him in. So they call in David And God says to Samuel, this is the one. This is the chosen one. This is a man after God's own heart. And David gets chosen to be king. Let's have a quick look at David's resume as such. Here's a couple of things it says about David in the book of Samuel. So God says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So it wasn't as if he just looked good and he was, you know, big stature and all the rest. It was the inside, the quality of his heart was appealing to God. God knew that it was good. But, you know, he had a few qualities along the way as well. He was a skillful musician, a mighty man of valour, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man. So, you know, there was a bit of appearance happening there. And God was with him. Again, we hear that the quality of God being with him was one of his strong character traits. And then it says of David, because David became king at the age 30, and then he ruled for about 40 years, and it says, David became greater and greater, for the Lord God was with him. So I want you to imagine this bowl of clear water here represents David. A good selection, clean candidate, really pretty fantastic, and... God was with him. The presence of God, the power of God was with him and it made him a great candidate. Squeaky clean, you could say, until suddenly. The candidate that looked so good in the interview, the resume that looked perfect, suddenly things went wrong. You see, David became king and he was... I don't know, on the rooftop one day, which maybe that's what kings did in that time, he noticed a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. And in the Bible it says, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He knew from word go it was somebody else's wife. But he was attracted to her. He called for someone to get her to come to the palace. He sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. She sends a message back to King David and says... Freak me out, I'm pregnant, what are we going to do? So David suddenly gets into rescue mode. What am I going to do? I'm in a sticky situation and we suddenly see that this good, clean, squeaky clean king, a man after God's own heart, the guy that was supposed to be a great candidate, mm, something went wrong. Did God get it wrong? Did God choose the wrong guy? Or... Did David just make a mistake? Yeah, he made a mistake and a big mistake, a public mistake, a mistake that everybody was going to know about. So, as most people do when they get caught out, 
they try and fix it. So David goes, okay, I'll get her husband home from the battlefield and perhaps we can just say that this baby was his. But Uriah comes back from the battlefield, a passionate warrior, and he goes, how can I go back to my family and my wife when my mates are out on the battlefield? So he sleeps on the doorstep. That plan didn't work. That cover-up was wasn't going to work. So then David does the next mistake. I suppose you could say he added to the mistake. It got messier, it got dirtier, and he says, you know what, I've got to cover this up, this, is, this isn't good. Send Uriah, send Bathsheba's husband to the front line of the battle so he'll be killed. We'll knock him off. That'll sort it out. We'll knock him off. And here again, he tries to cover up the mistake. But yet, it gets deeper, it gets grittier, it gets messier. David knows he's done the wrong thing. He knows he's done the wrong thing for himself and before God. But what do you do in these situations? What do we do in these situations? You know, we mess up. Sometimes we consciously make a choice and we do the wrong thing and we know it. But you know what? Sometimes life doesn't work out for us the way we want it to. Sometimes it's not even our fault. Perhaps we had dreams and expectations that we were going to do something or be something and it just, it didn't work out, didn't work out that way and we feel like we're a failure. Maybe we would look over what we've done and we go, gosh, if I had my time again, I'd do it differently. I really would. If I could do it again, if I could take it back, I would do it differently. But yet we can't always do that. Sometimes we have to just go, it is how it is. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with my, my failures, my mistakes? Sometimes my fault, sometimes not my fault, but I need to sit with that. The reality is we all find ourselves in that place. And if we were honest with ourselves this morning, I think we can all go, yep, I've messed up. I've goofed up. I'd like to do things differently. But how do we move on? How do we move on from that mistake, that failure, to do something differently? Well, the first thing we need to do is that we need to acknowledge or accept that we've made a mistake. Now, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says this, when I refuse to confess my sin or my wrongs or my mistakes, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And I think it explains when we've done the wrong thing, we just feel yick and grotty and wasted and exhausted. It it messes with us. But yet finally, I confess my sins. I confess my wrongs to you, God. I stop trying to hide my guilt. I stop trying to cover up and make excuses for it. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to God and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. It almost sounds too easy, doesn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I I think back at the first time that I did something wrong. I can remember back, I reckon I was about five, and we went off to dinner at someone's place. And I don't know, but when we were kids, we used to go, if mum and dad went out to a dinner party or something, the kids would come in their jammies, you'd stay up for a while, have a bit of a play, and then you'd get put to bed at someone's house. Well, we went to this house, and we got given this dress-up box to play with. And there was fantastic dress-ups But in this dress-up box was this most beautiful jewel. It was about this big and it was, I thought it was diamonds. I thought it was real. It was sparkle, arkle and beautiful and just 
just the most gorgeous jewel. And I remember going, what's this doing in the dress-up box? This is so precious. It's beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. And I thought to myself, I can't remember the lady's name, but I thought to myself, if she's just got it in her dress-up box, she doesn't care much about that. She wouldn't mind if I kept it. So I remember putting it in my dressing gown pocket. I can still visualise the dressing gown. So I put it in my pocket and I justified that it was okay that I took it because it was in her dress-up box and it wasn't precious. I wasn't stealing it from her jewel box or a dressing table. It was just in the dress-up box. So I put it in my dressing gown pocket, went to bed and lo and behold, as mothers always do, my mother found the jewel in the dressing gown pocket. And I remember my mother asking me what happened. And I said, well, it must have slipped off the table and into my pocket. It must have just fallen in. Because our natural response is just to cover up, isn't it? Don't we just make excuses and try and hide what we've done? Well, as mothers know better, I had to get on the phone and apologise to that lady. I remember being so nervous and going, I'm really sorry for taking the jewel, but I'll bring it back. And just, oh... But I was willing to cover up, and I don't know how many excuses I made before I was willing to say, yes, I stole it. I took it. And then I remember a few years later, I had to buy a recorder at school, and I think it was um, $1.50, the recorder. You wouldn't buy a recorder for $1.50 anymore. And mum gave me $2. So I went with my $2 to school. I paid for my recorder, and I got 50 cents change. And I remember thinking, 50 cents? What could I do with 50 cents? Well, I crossed the road from school that I wasn't allowed to cross because it was a very busy road. Actually, Mum, I don't think you even know this, so I'm confessing now how many years later. So I crossed the road that I wasn't supposed to and I bought 50 cents of mixed lollies. Now, that was a fortune because when you got mixed lollies, you used to have a little white bag of mixed lollies. This, it wouldn't fit in the little white bag. So I got a big brown paper bag about this size full of mixed lollies. And they were in the days when you bought three lollies for a cent. Remember that? Does some of you remember that? And five cents would buy you plenty, but 50 cents. It was like, look at the lollies I've got. 50 cents. And I sat up on the hill of school with my brown bag of lollies that I'd stolen the money from, but... My twin sister noticed me sitting on the hill with the brown paper bag of lollies and she said that she would dob on me and tell mum unless I shared half of them with her. <laughs> so again, in my desire not to be caught out because you know what, we'll do anything to not confess and not to admit that we did the wrong thing. We both sat on the hill and ate our 50 cents worth of mixed lollies. And it just reminds me we are so slow to admit we did the wrong thing. We goofed it. We'll do anything to cover up. We only have to look at the big names that we've seen on the news in the past years. Bill Clinton, Lance Armstrong, Tiger Woods, where we saw them publicly lie and lie and lie just to try and get out of a sticky situation until they got so caught out they suddenly had to tell the truth. If we want to recover from our failures and start again, we need to start off by just saying, I was wrong. I accept my responsibility. I did it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. And the amazing thing is that when we can accept our wrong and be responsible for it, can we have that slide back, Tim? 
the amazing thing is that God will forgive us. The difficulty is, though, if you've been a follower of God, if you're someone who knows what it is to be in a relationship with God, sometimes when we make mistakes, when we feel guilty, when we feel shame, when we feel embarrassed, it's almost like the murkiness of that hides the very presence of God from our lives. Or maybe you're somebody that hasn't ever really journeyed with God and you go, I don't quite get what God has to do with my life and what part God could have in my life. But the problem is that in our messiness, in the mistakes or the things that happen in life that just don't work out for us, that we can feel so down on ourselves and not even forgive ourselves that we sometimes can't actually see the presence of God anymore. It becomes murky. But yet God says... If we come to him, if we confess our wrongs, he is willing to forgive us. If only we accept what he's done for us. The Easter story of where Jesus died on the cross, it seems so simple. How could he just die on a cross and take away all the wrong that we've done? How can that happen? That just seems far, far, far too easy. I think it was the fact that God knew that... (coughs) We couldn't do it on our own. He knew that we were going to mess up. He knew that we were going to make mistakes. He knew that we were going to be disappointed in ourselves even and he wanted to make a way that we could be right. He wanted to make a way that we could be clean before him. There's a verse in Psalm 51 that says this, Purify me from my wrongs and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Give me back the joy again. Don't keep looking at my wrongs, but remove the stain of my guilt. You know, this is just a little example. I think my Alka-Seltzer might be a little bit old. It's taking a while. (laughs) It does work. I've done it before. But God wants to take away that guilt and that yuckiness and that, that feeling of failure because he wants us to move on. He wants to take away that stain and we can do that if we come to him and just ask him to forgive us for our wrongs. He promises to do that. Still going. (laughs) I'll stick one more tablet in. And maybe this illustrates to us that it's not always that simple because sometimes we're our worst critics. Sometimes we can know that God's forgiven us for our wrongs and the things that we've done wrong, but yet we can't forgive ourselves. And however much we can read God's word and promises saying that we're forgiven and that God doesn't hold us against us anymore, we can't forgive ourselves and we can't move on. And we continue to be our own worst critic. We continue to give ourselves such a difficult time. There's a verse in the Bible, Tim, the next one, thanks. And it talks about how sometimes our wrongs can cloud our view of God. Psalm 77 says this, Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? In his unfailing love, is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said this, and I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. 
oh, it hasn't quite worked. It's supposed to go completely clear. You'll have to use your imagination because I think it's all dissolved and they must be a little bit old. What's supposed to happen is it's supposed to go completely clear. So use your imagination. It's, it's lightened a little bit. But sometimes we can think that's true of God, that he's forgotten us. He's no longer compassionate. He's no longer forgiving. He's no longer caring. But that's actually not true because the character of God never changes. And sometimes we need to remember. We need to remember back to the goodness of God, what he was like, what he's been like in the past. And I'm so grateful that I have probably 35 years of experience, maybe more actually, yeah, more, 45, yeah, 40, no, 43, 43 years that I can look back at God's faithfulness in my life. So in the murky times when I can't really see or don't believe that God is faithful and kind and good, I've got to go, hang on, hang on, hang on, look back, remember when God was there in that situation. Remember God was there and he was a comfort. Remember God's peace that covered you in that really scary time. Maybe for some of you who haven't journeyed with God as long, maybe you know other people that have journeyed with God and you've you've heard their story and you go, maybe God could come through for me like God came through for my friend. I remember hearing that story. Maybe, just maybe, God might be faithful to me like he was to that person. Or maybe you can read the Bible and just say, maybe God could forgive me like he forgave King David and still gave him purpose and reason to go on to be a man of God. So we need to remember. We need to remember the things that God has done. But then I recall all you have done, O God, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works, O God. Your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? Okay. When we remember the goodness of God, it is so much easier to come to him and just say, God, help me. Help me move on from this failure. Please forgive me from the wrong that I've done. We can remember. But you know what? Change is hard. I had a think the other day and I went, what in me has changed over many, many years? What, what about me is different now than what I was a while ago? And I hate to say, I didn't come up with a lot of things. I thought, well, I don't suck my thumb anymore. Uh, that's probably a big change. I don't watch Days of Our Lives anymore. That was a bit of a uni fad. I don't do that anymore. Um, I... I buy bought biscuits now. I used to always do homemade. I thought that was a thing to do. But no, I've got over that. I I buy bought biscuits. Um, I've tried to do a meal planner. That didn't work. I've tried to do a budget. That doesn't work. Um, I've tried to do less sugar, even though I've got two friends that are fantastic at not eating sugar. I have to find new friends to eat cake with. But I haven't been able to do that. But when I started thinking... What about my character or traits in me have changed? And I hate to say, I was a bit disappointed. I couldn't say, yeah, I've really overcome that. I've really, I've really recognised that that wasn't a good quality trait or that wasn't a good way to react and I've really improved on that. And I remember going on a retreat a few years ago and we had to write ourselves a letter as if we were writing to ourselves in a year's time of how we'd overcome something that we didn't like in our lives. 
And I wrote myself a letter and I remember it coming in the post. And sorry, Ali, I'm sure it worked for other people. This is just me that was a bit of a flunk in this one. And I got this letter in the mail and it's, you know, when you look at an envelope and you go, I sort of recognise that writing. You sort of go, I wonder who that's from. And I sort of recognised, but I didn't. And I remember opening that letter and going, wow. This was supposed to be encouraging that I've overcome this and I've changed and I've worked at it and I've asked God to change me. But yet I was really disappointed because I had, if I was honest with myself, I went, I still do that. That is really annoying. I still do that. That is still an issue in my life. It hasn't changed. And, you know, as I started thinking about that, change is really, really hard, isn't it? Have you ever really tried to change, break a habit, do something better, do something differently that you've been doing for years and years and years and years? And I realised that if I really want to change, if I want to be a better person, maybe in one area of my life, if I want to react differently, rather than hurting the people in my life that I love the most, rather than reacting in a way that I know is not helpful, change takes effort. And I find that when I come to God and ask him for forgiveness, and I'm washed clear and clean, that I can then also come to God and say, God, will you help me? Will you help me journey? Because I don't like this trait in me. I want to do things differently. Would you help me? And um, let's take a look at the next slide. Thanks, Tim. Because we can ask God in Psalm 51, it says, God, would you purify me from my sins, from my wrongs, from my shame, and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again and create in me a clean heart, O God. And one of the most amazing things that God can do, because you know what? We can fix ourselves to an extent on our own. We can work hard. We can do self-help things that, yeah, we can be a better person. But there's something amazing about the power of God working in someone's life that God can change our hearts change our attitudes and it's just that gentle urging of you know what that wasn't great you know what Bron let's try that again let's work on this let's get this better with my strength God says let me work in your life let me make a difference in your life to change you for the better and sometimes I think if we're honest with ourselves if we can look at our failures that may be a result of our own doing because of our poor choices or maybe if we, even if we look at the failures that might have just sort of happened in life to us, not because of our own fault or situations that we've gone, have gone, I would do it differently if I had my time again. Maybe we could use those failures to be an agent for change and say, let that stir me to be better, to be different, to follow God more closely. God, would you change me? Would you wash me clean and change my heart? But you know what? It doesn't happen just in a snap like that. You know, maybe in an hour this will be clear. <laughs> maybe this helps illustrate that change takes time. And I'd love to say that, you know what, you can just pray to God and zap, you're fixed, you're good, you're clean, that's not an issue anymore, that's not a bad habit anymore. But you know what, even with the presence of God working in our lives, it takes time and effort on our behalf too. And I've been recently challenged, and as I read that letter about myself that hadn't changed even after a year, I had to say, you know what, I didn't put the effort in. 
yeah, I might have asked God to help me once or twice. But I realise that if I really want to change and overcome some of the failures in my life, I need to sit in the presence of God. I need to daily sit in God's presence and just talk to God. I need to just sit and say, God, can you help me in this? This is really frustrating. Can you help change my heart? Can you help give me the desire to be different? Sitting reading God's word, reading the Bible and seeing how other characters in the Bible work and seeing what God's truths and God's promises are. And I find that when I sit with God, even if it's 10 minutes a day in the morning, if I sit in God's presence, God's presence continues with me throughout the day. It's almost like when you have lunch with someone. You know, if you're going to have lunch with someone, you chat, 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 catch up, you leave and go your separate ways. But the conversation sort of lingers through the day. You think about what you talked about. You think about what was said. You think about that person. It's almost like having breakfast with God, that his presence dwells and continues with you through the day and that God's presence can be working in you and go, hey, watch it. You're about to blow it again or... Careful what you say, just so little gentle reminders that God, that's God's working in our lives and making a difference. I had a friend when I was growing up who took it really seriously about having quality time with God and she used to say, if I haven't had time with God in the morning, I don't eat breakfast. I went, what? How could you not have breakfast? She goes, well, everybody says breakfast is the most important meal of the day but to me, if I haven't started my day with God... I'm not having breakfast. It's a reminder to me that I need to sit and spend time with God. And it's a good thing. It's good for me. The more I spend time with God, the better wife I am, the better mother I am, the better colleague I am, the better employee I am. The more time I spend with God, the better person I become. Not for me to look great, but hey, wouldn't it be amazing if people saw in us and said, That person has a heart over God, after God's own heart. Or that person, I can see God in that person. I can see God making a difference in that person. We're not going to be perfect, but gosh, if we really journeyed with God and said, God, would you help cleanse me, change me, help me forgive myself, that's a huge thing. Help me to forgive myself because you've already forgiven me. Help me to forgive myself and journey on and journey forward. Because I believe when we sit in the presence of God, he helps us overcome our failures. And even though the world and other people around us might keep reminding us of our failures and our weaknesses and the things that we've done wrong, God says, "Uh uh-uh, you're forgiven, you're washed clean. Choose to journey ahead with me and forward with me. That's gone. That's washed clean. It really is. It's washed clean. It's clear. So I want to challenge us this morning, just as the musos come up, and just take a minute. I just want you to sit in a moment of quietness. If you would like to pray and talk to God, feel free to do that. If that's a new thing and you have never done that before, you might just want to sit and say, if there was one area of my life that I could change, don't pick everything, it's too hard. One, one thing, don't go for ten. If there was one area of my life, one attitude, one trait maybe something that went wrong that you've never forgiven yourself maybe you've never even asked God to forgive you let's just take a moment that you can sit and say God what would that be what's one thing that I want to ask God would you step 
into my life. Maybe, maybe you don't even know if God's out there. Here's a good chance to try him out. God, if you're there, can you help me journey forward? I want to cleanse this of my life. This has bugged me for years and years and years, and I don't want it bugging me anymore. I want to start the journey of healing. I want to start journeying with you, believing that you could change me and you could transform me. So let's just take a minute, just sitting in quietness, and then Cindy will lead us with a song after that. Thanks.